Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Father, I ask that as we uh, open your Word and we, we, sit, uh, we sit with you, would you teach us? Would you teach me as I, as I, as I try to bring your Word? Would you let your words stand? Would you speak what you want to speak? Holy Spirit, we're dependent on you. So we give you this time and ask for you to be with us and speak to each one in Jesus' name. Amen. James reminds all of us that what we do matters. And what we do comes up and out of who we are. Two weeks ago, Daniel Yu visiting from Thailand was awesome. He gave us a real gift. Um, and though he didn't preach out of James, what he shared was a, really a perfect complement uh, to what we're discussing. He focused our attention on the biblical reality of who we are, our true identity as daughters and sons of God, that that truth, that reality is the truest thing about us, and from that, all else becomes secondary. It's not that those secondary things don't matter, but they, they are secondary to our true identity. We don't just say that because it sounds good. Uh, we get that from looking at the life of Jesus. What Jesus did revealed to us who he was. I love how Eugene Peterson in his, his translation of John, uh, John 1.14 says this, the word, meaning Jesus, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. Jesus. This morning in our passage, James is going to zero in on another aspect of what faith lived looks like. Another echo rooted in his memory of watching the life of his brother and hearing his brother's words. We're going to pick up at the beginning of James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, uh, and it should be, uh, should be on the screens. We're going to read a portion of Scripture, and then I'll, I'll, I'll break it down. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who, he- who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones, ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones with, who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you don't commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the whole law. 
So, to, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who, shows, who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Show no partiality. Any, uh, any football fans in here? There are some. I don't watch football, but I hear it's fun to watch. Uh, you didn't, that's not where you thought I was going with that, was it? <laughs> no. So, hey, I, many of you know that I grew up, uh, I grew up in uh, rural Ohio. Um, I am a Midwest kid. Yes, thank you. And uh, right on the border of Ohio and Pennsylvania is kind of where I grew up. And, um, boy, I'll tell you what. In the Midwest, people are like really, really really into their teams, into their sports teams, like, like significant fans, significant. Um, I, my dad's family, he comes from a family of 12 brothers and sisters uh, from just south of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I grew up in a Steelers uh, household. Uh, that was, everything was Steelers. Even on my mom's side, they, they, liked, they liked the Steelers. And uh, my, I can remember my elementary school having Cleveland Browns Day. Well, they actually did that. It was Cleveland Browns Day. That's a great question. Why? Nick, Nick wants to know why. I don't know why, but they, they, they did that. And I can remember showing up in my Steelers gear, you know, as a fifth grader, like, you would think I killed somebody uh, with the reaction and the responses, uh, the responses that I got. Listen, in many, many ways, in, in all areas of our life, we, it's completely normal to choose teams to show some preference, to have some levels of partiality, to root for this and not, and not for that. Um, you know, James is not talking here about not having friends or not necessarily like where you get along with this group and, and, or this person and maybe you don't completely gel with this other person. He's not talking about chemistry and dating and friendship. That's not, it's not, it's not, what, he's, not what he's talking about. So it begs another question it begs another question, what is James actually referring to when he says to, to show no partiality? And I, I love, we're going to camp on that first verse for, for, for a second. What, what he says is, my brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Is this me? Okay, we'll see what happens. The first thing that we see in this passage is that when it comes to the church, there is no place for fanboys and factions in the church with people. James wants us to see there is one team, there's one family, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. This is the literal brother of Jesus calling you and me brother and sister. James does this because he knows who his true brothers and sisters are. See, he remembers very well when Jesus redefined family relationships and the obligations, and probably much to his shock and embarrassment at the time, Jesus was teaching, you want to give me that? Is it on? Is this on? Can you hear me? Okay. Okay. So... Jesus was teaching at the time of this, of this passion. I'm going to share with you Mark chapter, chapter 3, verse 31 through 35. Here's the deal. Jesus was teaching. He was either in a home or in a synagogue. And there was people, there was people around him. This is what Mark has to say. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and they stood outside, and they sent word for him, calling for him. A crowd was seated around him, and those sent to him said, 
hey, hey, look, your, your mother and brothers and sisters, they're outside and they're, they're looking for you. They're looking for you. He replied, who, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And looking around at those seated around him in a circle, he said, look, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will, the, whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. For whoever does the will of God, he or she is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus redefines the, the, the family relationship. James remembers that Jesus said the true brothers and sisters and the primary family, the primary family is the family of God that we have been adopted into. And there is only one way to get into that family. There's only one way. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Just being born doesn't qualify you as a child of God. That's not what the scripture teaches. We're created by God, loved by God, but to those who believe are given the right to become these dearly beloved children of God into a new family. John, James wants us to see there's one family, brothers and sisters. James also wants us to see that we already possess immense value. The world in which James is writing to has a very different set of foundational values than we kind of modern Western Americans do. In James's world, the highest cultural social value was the love of honor and praise. The value of honor and praise was directly tied to a person's sense of personal and social self-worth. Self a leading cultural anthropologist of the 20th century, Julian Pitt Rivers, said this. Great definition. I'm going to slowly read it. Honor is the value of a person in his own eyes, but also in the eyes of his society. It is his estimation of his own worth, his claim to pride, why I can be proud. But it is also the acknowledgement of that claim, do you acknowledge why I should be proud? His excellence recognized by society, his right to pride. What he is saying here, what this guy is saying here, is that within the culture that James is teaching, and in the culture, much of today's culture in the Middle East and in the East, honor is how you make it. It's how you feel good about yourself. It's how you navigate public life. It's something personally desired and publicly recognized. The desire is that you become a person of weighty reputation. We kind of see this kind of thing trickling into our society as well, into the worldview as well. How many Instagram followers do you have? How many likes did you get on that post? I, I need to make sure that people think I think a certain way. Or what will they think? I've got to get into the right school. I can't take a job that's not in line with my degree. I, I can't move back home. If I disagree with this person, they may reject me or worse, go, go on to slander me or whatever. What will that mean for me? What will that mean for me? What does that say about me? Do these things sound familiar? Do those pressures sound familiar? See, James wanted the church in Jerusalem to be reminded that their reputation, their glory, their honor was already secure. You and I hold the faith, is what he says. You hold the faith. The word hold means to possess. We possess the faith, the belief 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, which Christ means king. He is the king. And even more than that, James calls him the Lord of glory. Why does he do that? Why does he say the Lord of glory? The word for glory here means renown, honor, divine quality. It's tied to the Old Testament word that means to be heavy, weighty, having substance. Church, we possess a gift, the honor and the weight and the substance of Jesus the King. We don't need to look to others to define our worth. How many likes on our social media posts or whether we have a new car or really quite, these, those things are really insignificant and very, very small when you stack them up to the reality that our worth is immeasurable and secure. Peter tells us we are, listen, you, if you have named the name of Christ, you are a chosen person, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Do you know that? He wants you. Wants you. Doesn't need you. <laughs> wants you. All of this seems pretty clear if you've been around church and the gospel and, you know, but we're all prone to struggle with this. We're all prone to struggle with it in different ways. So where do we go wrong? Where do, where do things go wrong? James wants us to see that we miss it when we allow cultural pressure to dictate our actions towards others. The phrase, no partiality, is really an interesting phrase. It's directly translated, it means, do not receive faces. Kind of a weird, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idiom, it's, a, it's a, a figure of speech in the ancient world. In other words, it means, don't look to see who someone is before deciding how to treat them. Do not receive faces. I'm going to look at you and determine how I'll treat you based on who I think you are. That's literally what, that's literally what it means. Brothers and sisters, don't look to see who someone is or what they'll think or what social pressure you'll face before you decide how to treat someone. James has given us an honor test in this scenario. One of the most important ways people in Jesus' day and still today in the Middle East would maintain or protect or show their honor was through being a generous host. Hospitality is not something you do because you're being nice in that culture. It shows your honor and ability to provide for someone else, especially for strangers. There's a real value for being hospitable to strangers. You see it all through the, all through the scriptures. Many of you know, uh, you know, I spent a very small amount of time in, in, in the Middle East, and, and uh, the landlord that lived above me, he and his wife, they would invite me over for dinner. And when they would... Um, they would put out this crazy spread. I mean, like, the, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, like, four of me couldn't eat what they put in front of me. Uh, and it was all for me. Like, they, they put out this huge thing for me. Uh, and, and I was told, actually, not, not that I could have eaten all of it, but I was told, don't, hey, don't eat all of it. Because if you actually eat all of it, it actually indicates to them that they didn't provide enough for you. And it's kind of shaming and kind of a challenge to them. So the whole cultural thing, he was a well-respected man in the village. I was this American who had come in. There was a, I was in a tiny little village. There was this buzz about this white guy walking around saying things in Arabic. And, and it was like people, people started to know. And so he needed, to, he needed to follow through with social customs. 
or else word might get out that he's not as honorable as, 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 as other people might think that he is, right? There was social pressure for him to respond in a certain way. He was also very kind. So, but it's very much alive. There's this thing that people need to respond to. James says to us, supposed, suppose, here's, 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 the, here's the social test. Put yourself in the scenario, a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, which would have indicated very quickly to everybody there, well, this person has honor, they're wealthy, this is how you treat people like this. Everybody just knew it. Like this, there's a certain way that you go about doing this. And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So here's the thing. The word for poor here indicates the destitute. No social worth. It's the lowest rung in their culture and their society. So we have a situation where there's an honorable man and a dishonorable man, and you're one of the 90% of all people that lived at that time that were from a largely peasant society. You were poor, but you had some level of means. You were not the destitute in, in, in the story. And you have to figure out what to do. If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, uh, stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In this scenario, you and I would face tremendous pressure to follow what the culture told you was right. You are supposed to treat a stranger of equal or greater status with great hospitality. To give them the best seat, that's what you're supposed to do. And the destitute's not expecting special treatment anyway. No one treats them with anything special. If you didn't follow the cultural expectation, you may offend the wealthy man. <laughs> you may offend this wealthy man by dishonoring him, and then he would be obligated to tell everyone what a dishonorable and pitiful host you were. There's a lot of pressure in this scenario that we just read right past it. This kind of behavior held sway in every household and in every family in the ancient world and still today in some modern worlds, but it was not to be so in the household of God. There is a different family with different values. Have you felt the pressure of other people's expectations of you? Have you ever experienced the fear of being tossed out of the in crowd if while following Jesus you crossed a cultural line and fear the repercussions? Even the apostle Peter and Paul's missionary partner Barnabas fell into this trap. And perhaps, now there's disagreement on whether people knew that men from James were going up to Antioch and Peter or not, but there were men from James, perhaps even James struggled with this same thing in his world, and we're going, to take, we're going to take a look at this. Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, that Peter came to the city of Antioch, and he was with the Gentiles in Antioch, and he, being a Jewish person, was eating with them. But one day, a group of Jewish believers from James's church came for a visit to see what was happening with the Gentiles who were believing in the Jewish Messiah. When they got there, Peter feeling a social pressure, drew back and separated himself from the Gentiles. And he did that because he was afraid of what the men from James's church would think. Paul says that all of the Jews followed, even the great, the encouraging, one of my personal heroes, Barnabas. 
So much so that Paul confronted Peter to his face and rebuked him for his hypocrisy. This shows us another way we all get this wrong sometimes, including Peter, maybe James. He's not Jesus. He's he's Jesus' brother. And Paul, too. He's just not written down for us. He's human. And that is that we all have blind spots. Everybody's got blind spots. I would like to introduce you to someone. On the screen is my friend Bill. This is Bill. Say hi, Bill. Bill is, uh, he's coming on staff here at Mercy Commons as our director of children's ministry. No? (laughs) James tells us we're terrible judges because we all do what our mothers told us not to do, and we judge by faces. We judge by externals. Listen, we all struggle with different things, different judgments. For James and the church in Jerusalem, the challenge that they saw and were tempted by was that of securing their own honor and showing preference to the wealthy instead of the poor. But what they had harder time seeing, and eventually did see, but had a harder time early on seeing, is that they struggled with ethnic discrimination. Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 12, where the division is between Jew and Gentile, not wealthy and poor. Those in Christ and those not. That is literally what Paul says. The the new humanity, there's two ways. You're in Christ or you are not. All the other distinctions are not causes for showing preference or difference. That's hard to walk out, but that's what's true. James helps us here and preaches to us and perhaps even to himself and some of his own people when he says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Seems like a really weird couple of things to toss out, doesn't it? Again, James here is preaching to good Jews, good good Jewish Messianic believers. Adultery? Of course I don't do that. I'm a good Jew. But those Romans? Yeah. We should overthrow those sons of motherless goats. <laughs> it's a uh, Three Amigos reference, yeah, for those of you. There's no problem with their sexual, sexual morality. We're good Jews. But I want, to, I, want, I don't want to put down our oppressors. None of us see clearly. See, a Jew would have struggled with murder in the heart, more so than the adultery. So James knew his audience. He knew who he was talking to and saying, listen, it doesn't matter what your blind spot is. We all got them, and you, we all fail, and we all fall short. So you're under a different law. You're under the law of liberty. It's the gospel. We need to lay down our preferences. We need to lay down. These, these things. Brothers and sisters, what are your blind spots? I have them. You have them. We all have them. What assumptions are you and I making about other people? A few years ago, we, uh, as a part of Southland's Fullerton at the time, we participated in this homeless ministry outreach on the kind of the border of Fullerton and, An- and Anaheim. We, uh, you know, helped with haircuts, handed out food, clothing, and we, we joined up with a bunch of other churches and people that were doing it. And um, some of us got the opportunity to sit with the men and women that ate and kind of, I, I remember sitting down with this guy and, uh, uh, you know, 
weathered face, scruffy beard, dirty clothes, you know, just, you know, stereotypical homeless guy. I remember sitting down with him and starting to, starting to talk with him. And, and I remember, like, as the conversation was going on, I mean, deep down somewhere in me, there was like, look at me, I'm doing this. This is cool. All right, great. I'm, 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 I'm hanging out with a homeless guy. Isn't that awesome? Good for me. Woo. I would never say that. But somewhere in here was some of that. And I'm talking to this guy, and I'm hearing his story. And he goes on to tell me that his family had passed on. He didn't have any other family. And he had decided to actually be homeless because he loved Jesus and he loved the homeless. And he was doing Bible studies on the street. All of a sudden, at that table, who was honorable was completely different. I thought, wow, how magnanimous a man. And I thought, I am in the presence of a great man. Not the other way around. We don't see well. <laughs> we don't see well. We don't judge well. We're not to do that. A third way that we get, we, we seemingly, seemingly get this simple thing wrong is that we treat people as an it rather than a thou. We can be so caught up in our goals, activities, judgments of others that we don't see people as unique and valuable image bearers of God. Rather, we can treat people like an object, a means to an end, an extension of ourselves, Something or even something to be avoided. The grocery store checkout person is Judy. She's not an extension of the cash register. Who I don't actually see. This is not actually mind-blowing or super difficult. It's just in the moment-by-moment -moment recognition of this is a person created in God's image who has a name, and God knows this name. A good question is, do we see and value people who aren't like us, who don't live in a place like us, who don't read the books that we read, who, who didn't go to the school that you went to or went to a school at all? Can you and I enter the world of people who don't enjoy the same things we enjoy, who work with their hands versus a computer or work with a computer versus their hands? Are you able to see the worth of the person who decided that they would never wear a mask during COVID or someone who followed every directive of the CDC to the letter? Am I able to enter the world of someone who voted for President Trump twice or a grassroots organizer of Black Lives Matter? Am I able to do that? Are we able to do that? Who is in your world that stretches you? Listen, you don't have to become them. You don't have to agree with them. I mean, Jesus became flesh and blood. I don't know about you, but Jesus has not agreed with a lot of things that I thought. But he still came to live with me. Still came to live with me. We enter into their world and we value them if we'll drop our pride and desire to protect ourselves 
or our point of view as of first importance. It's not that your point of view doesn't, it's not important. It's just not of first importance. Seeing and loving someone the way that God has done to us is of first importance. So what's the answer, Sean? How do we become people who show no partiality? Are we just supposed to will ourselves to be better? No. (laughs) We're not. That's a simple answer. No. James hints at the answer right in the middle of the passage, and I absolutely love this, when he says, listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Don't forget your belovedness. Don't forget your belovedness. To those in Rome who are dearly loved by God and called to be God's people, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. To those in Fullerton who are dearly loved by God and called to be God's people, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1.7. Jeremiah 31.3. I have loved you. Listen, this is you. It's collective of the church, but it's you as an individual. Paul's theology, he understood that he was doing something for all of Israel, but he also knew that Christ died for him personally. These verses are both collective and personal. So listen to that. I have loved you, you, with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Isaiah 43, 1, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you know you are loved, everything relaxes. Everything relaxes. We now know, thanks to things like brain scans, that our bodies and our central nervous systems are put at ease when we are accepted and secured in loving relationships how much more so in the ultimate relationship to know that you are loved and secured and held. We've been, uh, we've been watching the new video, uh, video series about the life of Jesus called The Chosen in our house. We've shared it with our kids. And, and uh, one of my favorite things about that, if you haven't seen it, is the way that Jesus is portrayed in that, in that series He's just always at ease. Everywhere he goes, he's at ease. And uh, I, that's, that's, that's sat with me. And even as I've been studying this and just thinking about w- what Jesus would have been like everywhere he went, he was at ease. Listen, he understood he was in his father's house everywhere he went. He was the hospitable host. He was secure in his father's love. And everywhere he went, he was able to welcome others with ease. His fight or flight was seriously relaxed because he was secured in his love, the love of the Father, the connection. And that is a model for us as well. Jesus had heard, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He heard that publicly, and I'm sure he heard it all the time privately. Jesus wants us to know that in him, we are just as beloved. From John 15, it says, As the Father has loved me. I've, I've read this one before. This is not unfamiliar to us, but listen, listen to it. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved me. What depth is that? How, how, much, how much does that, how much is that worth? So I have loved you. Abide in my love. Make your home there. Come to rest there. Understand that's the source. That's your foundation. That's where all things become secure and you move out from. You see, the old saying is true. You cannot give what you do not have. But brothers and sisters, you already possess the love of God. <laughs> it's not something that you've earned. It's something that's been lavished on you. It's a gift. And no one twisted God's arm to give it. Do you know that you were chosen by Jesus? Do you know that you were picked for his team? You're assigned a seat at his table. Do you know he's praying for you by name right now? That's what the Bible says, that he is praying for the saints, but he also knows us by name. How do we become those who show no partiality? We listen to his words in John 15, 7 through 12, and we take them seriously. We surrender to them. We surrender to them. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Have you received the love of Jesus? Have you made that your home? Have you, can you make that your home this morning? So from that place of secured honor, that place of secured attachment, that place of full and complete security, it is much easier to love others. It is much easier to love others when we get the order right of first importance. Band, you guys can join me back up here. As we close this morning, um, as we close this morning asking God to help us abide in his love and to learn how to love one another as he loved us, how to enter someone else's world and listen, how to drop our assumptions, how to, how to keep the first thing the first thing. I, I, I'd love to read over us. The, the words from the Apostle Paul from Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12. You know, as I was studying this passage, I was just so struck by this particular, these, these verses from James and the incredible connection that they have almost to the entire book of Romans. And in particular, the culmination right here in chapter 12 that really represents this Jesus who humbled himself who was equal with God but did not consider that equality something to grasp or, or, or to leverage or to put to use, but he emptied himself. 
for us and emptied himself again after that by dying on a cross. Jesus, the one who, uh, I don't think he'd have a great podcast right off the bat, like downward mobility. (laughs) I'd like to read, go ahead and close your eyes. Then you guys can kind of... After I read this, Nick is going to lead us into, uh, into communion. I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul to you, to me. So, brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's holy and it's pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Instead, be reasonable, since God has measured out a portion of faith to each one of you. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't all have the same function. In the same way, though, there are many of us, there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. The one giving should do it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion. The one showing mercy should be cheerful. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good, church. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're smart. Don't pay back anyone for the evil actions with Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals of fire upon his head for his good. Don't be defeated by evil, 
but defeat evil with good. Brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold and possess the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.